Welcome to She Witness Podcast. This is the first episode of the She Witness, a collaboration between the Oslo Desk, Humans for Humans, and Social Women's Empowering Act, abbreviated to SHIWA, powered by Caritas Norway. I'm Carmen Mack from the Oslo Desk. Uh, let me uh, just introduce a little bit of myself and then um, Sarah and Inos can also introduce themselves and then we'll let you know a little bit of what this collaboration is all about. Uh, I'm a journalist. Um, I, have been, I do have my own podcast, um, uh, which you can also listen to, which is called Toddcast. So the Autodesk was started three years ago, um, where um, as a journalist, uh, a minority here, particularly in Norway, I felt that um, there was not enough representation in the media and in the journalism industry here. Um, I was a little bit fed up with how um, immigrants are being portrayed in the mainstream media. And I really want to shift that um, narrative. So what I did was just basically did my own investigation and reports um, and have um, a group of volunteers just like me um, who also want to run stories and that became us really. Um, we have our own website with a lot of articles. So um, for me, I've done some, um, I did two particular investigation. Uh, one of them, which is relevant for this podcast um, is on the challenges that foreign mothers were experiencing here um, in Norway. And you can uh, check that out in oslodesk.com. So over to you, Sarah. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, my name is uh, Sarah Pistene. I'm originally from Portugal and I moved to Norway three years ago. So my name is Sarah Pistene. I'm originally from Portugal. I just moved to Norway three years ago. I finished my master's degree in educational psychology in 2017. And so since then I have been working with different at-risk populations. I have mostly been working with children and youth because my specialization area was more uh, directed to the work with uh, human development. And so uh, I've been working mostly with these young generations uh, in different contexts and mostly in their natural contexts of life. So not so much as a psychologist in, a, in an office. And since I moved to Norway, I like changed path uh, many times. I had different jobs and I worked a lot with transition as well, uh, helping migrants adapt to the new country um, and kind of finding the new purpose, which I was going through as well. Like, what can I do here? I don't speak the language uh, and trying to find creative ways of um, working in psychology and developing my um, knowledge and also learning from different perspectives and international perspectives, which has been really great. And then in 2020, in January, I founded the Humans for Humans, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on mental health and human trafficking. So what we do is we provide mental health support for human trafficking survivors and for the professionals working in the field. Um, and so I started this work also based on my experience before in Portugal, where I worked in a protection center for these victims. So these issues around violence, uh, around um, human trafficking itself have been very close to my heart ever since. And that's kind of why I started Humans for Humans. So we are still new, but also keeping on developing my uh, expertise in this area and trying to connect with others like you guys. So thank you. Passing to you, Ines. Thank you, Sarah. So my name is Ines and I also moved to Norway, but 
many years ago. So I moved to Norway 30 years ago. Um, well, almost 30 years ago. Um, and um, I've been living here my whole life. Uh, so I've been, you know, I finished my high school in Norway, but I decided to move to another country to do my studies um, because I was interested in, you know, experiencing something more than Norway. Uh, so I decided to move to uh, England, so London. Uh, and my background is uh, sociology and human rights. So I did a uh, bachelor's in sociology and uh, a master's in human rights. Uh, and maybe some of you know that human rights, uh, no, um, the master's programs are uh, one year in England. So after about four years, um, I moved back to Norway and that was the hard part also. Moving to England was difficult because, you know, uh, like you guys know, being new and, you know, uh, coming to a new country is uh, not the easiest thing, especially when you're trying to settle down, find, you know, the right information. But also uh, for me, coming back to Norway was the hardest part because now I had to decide what to do with my life. But this is just like a little background story to why I'm working in where I'm with what I'm doing now. Um, but I, you know, coming from originally from Iraq uh, and growing, growing up in Norway, I grew up with two cultures. So I, even though I grew up here, I, I know the struggles, you know, what my mom went through uh, uh, in Norway and what, all, you know, her friends went through and not knowing the language, maybe, you know, it's impossible to fully know a language in a new country right away. So you have this, you know, period of time where you are kind of a little vulnerable. So you're, uh, dependent on you know other people to to explain things for you maybe sometimes um, so I knew I wanted to work with you know having my background I wanted to work with people from other countries as well because I knew I could offer them something uh, so I started volunteering in Caritas uh, Caritas Norge or Caritas Norway um, and started to give guidance to people speaking uh, from Arabic speaking countries, because that's what I do. And just helping them with information, whatever they need. Um, a lot of information is unfortunately either, like most of it is in Norwegian. So I used to translate some of the information. And also um, I knew I wanted to work with women, uh, you know, because I, I, I think my background helps me, you know, to see both both worlds or both you know perspectives. Um, so after a year of volunteering, I actually started working in Caritas. So right now I am uh, I work as an advisor in Caritas Norway, and I also um, is I'm the project leader of Svea, which is what Kaman also introduced in the start uh, uh, women's group in Svea and in Caritas. So that's you know. A long short story about me <laughs> that's great and I think like uh, I've, I've forgotten to also mention about my um, ethnic background actually um, you probably could hear from my accent um, British so I actually am a Brit uh, but my parents are from Hong Kong so I'm referred to as a second generation immigrant in the UK um, and moving here to Norway um, I'm the first generation immigrant which actually makes me realize um, the kind of hardship my parents were experiencing. Um, and like you mentioned, both of you about this language barrier. 
um, that immigrants faces on a continued basis uh, when they first move here. Um, so let's jump to the first question then. Why are we all here today? So I think, um, you know, if I, if I start off, it would be the fact that I think we all um, worked on projects um, that is related to farm mothers, farm women who are struggling a lot. And I think on my own basis um, in 2019, I would say uh, almost on a monthly basis, I've been contacted by a woman um, who was trying to escape a domestic violent relationship, a family situation at home. So for me to, to witness that and kind of feel a little bit hopeless uh, because what I witnessed was women was falling in between chairs, uh, I would say, um, and may not be getting the help they need or not knowing where to get the help they need. Um, and I think we're, we're, we were here trying to, um, to figure that out, really. What, what can we do more? Um, I don't know about you, you both, you know, whether you felt this way of being hopeless um, sometimes when you, when you talk to these women who come to you for help. Yeah. I, I noticed, um, you know, working in the resource center. So I, I haven't really been in contact with w many women in these kind of situations privately, but, you know, working in the resource, uh, I forgot to mention, we have in Caritas, we have something we call a resource center where people can come in to, you know, uh, get guidance. And I noticed that uh, women were coming in with, you know, different types of questions regarding also, you know, it could be like economical um, difficulties, but we found out that the background of it was that maybe she was in a situation that she wanted to get out of, and but she couldn't get out because she was dependent on this person in Norway. Um, and sometimes we found it very difficult to exactly know how to help them because, you know, you cannot help, it's not always you have the right answer and you feel, like you said, hopeless sometimes because you feel like you want to help, but there's uh, not much you can do because they, maybe they fall uh, between two chairs, I guess you can say in, in English, because uh, they are in a difficult situation, but maybe not eligible to a certain type of help because the help, maybe the situation right now is not that serious. Um, so I've definitely been in those situations at the resource center. Mm. Yeah, I don't know about you, Sarah, maybe. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't uh, had the experience of working directly with uh, victims of domestic violence in specific. I worked with some children who were also part of families that had these violent backgrounds and that we had to support uh, the children in these situations and in difficult situations where they didn't have the resources to leave the house or uh, not only the children, but the women who were suffering this type of violence. We had a lot of work with the families as well, trying to understand how we could help. And both uh, in Portugal and in Norway, what I've been feeling is that there, there's always something missing for them. Uh, for We try to look for as many resources as possible, and there's always some criteria that doesn't fit, or, uh, or they simply can't afford to have someone else or to help someone else. Um, we had, I had that experience when working in Portugal also with victims of human trafficking, uh, which sometimes are also related to this, the problems of violence within family because human trafficking sometimes also happens within the family. Um, and we had to say no because we didn't have the capacity to protect more women in that case. So 
in Norway, I had my first experience of actually going with a woman to a crisis center to report uh, a domestic violence situation. And it, it really touched me in a different way because I was there in the process of taking the legal action, right? And it, I realized that it's so scary for, it was so scary for her because um, one thing is what we are feeling and trying to get over the problem. And then we are in the moment where we can't take it anymore and we need to take some legal action, but that's also scary because then, especially if we are migrants, which was the case in a new country, uh, we don't have that support network. We don't have all the resources we need to thrive without uh, our family, maybe. And for me, it's very shocking that in 2021, we are still uh, struggling so much with this issue. So I think that's one of the main reasons why I'm here is like, we need to kind of make this better once and for all. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, to, you know, to add on to that, you know, at a backdrop right now, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic as well. So we have to kind of uh, make a note on that, you know, during this pandemic, we have seen statistics. I think this is globally and worldwide that um, there are more cases of domestic violence as people are staying at home. Um, you know, women are, um, or in general, people are more uh, exposed to domestic violence. Um, and we've seen statistics around the world uh, where, you know, the calls to helplines um, has hit the roof, basically. Um, and it's the same here in Norway. We, we've seen cases um, online um, in newspapers that uh, there's more and more uh, cases of domestic violence at home um, and the cases seem to rise. Um, and I think it's dropped a little bit now, um, but we're, we're anticipating there going to be more. I would also say like for this podcast, we, we, really, we really want to also disseminate more information that we can help. Um, as many women who's listening to us out there who can get some uh, rightful information uh, about this. And we want to keep this as a long-term thing uh, where we could also um, see what else we can do um, to, you know, what other inf uh, information we could provide, but also uh, look at how we can take this further. Just like Sarah was saying, um, we want to put an end to this. You know, we really want to tackle gender violence, domestic violence, you know, head on uh, and, and see what we can do. Yeah, and uh, regarding the pandemic as well, um, it, it's scary, like according to the United Nations Women, violence against women has increased 20 to 30% in 2020. But uh, when we were reading and kind of looking for more information on this topic, we realized that in some countries, the number of calls to hotlines have, been, have increased a lot. But in some cases, it had decreased because since people are closed in the same house, they, in the same house, they don't have the opportunity to just call because they're, the aggressor is like right there next to them. So some of them are going through these situations and we can't know about it because they, they are in lockdowns or they are in some confinement situation. And I think a lot of people also didn't know that these places were still open because during a lockdown, you think everything is locked down. So, so there has been many cases where people have actually said that we didn't know that it was open. So I think the, the biggest, one of the biggest problems we have is just the information doesn't get out to people, to the, you know, to the right people. Uh, because uh, like you said, uh, Sarah, that being new in Norway, uh, you, you know, as an immigrant woman going to a, when you go to a crisis center, they're basically the only option you have. Uh, because as, you know, as someone who grew up in Norway, I have a network. Uh, I have, 
a bigger family. If something happens, I know I can go to someone. When you're alone in Norway, the crisis center will probably be your, you know, your only option. So that's why it's very, very important for us to to talk about this issue because we want to, um, you know, raise awareness of the situation that these women find themselves in uh, as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, severity of the problem because, you know, we, we experienced this and we, we've been in contact with these women and we know that many of them struggle when they actually ask for help, which is, you know, the first step is when you actually, you know, you want to ask for help. And then this is a huge step. Uh, and if you, I'm thinking if you meet some resistance during the way, it will just make it even harder next time you want to ask someone else, uh, you know, for help. So it's very important that the first, when a person comes to you and they ask for help, that we are able to actually give them some some help and, and without any, you know, difficulties or without any categories where we put them and you're not, you know, in the category of, you know, you're, situation is not that urgent so i feel like we we have to focus on these things that uh, information prevention um mostly and you know and get the right help for the for the people um so i hope this i hope this podcast can also you know help with that definitely i would actually add to that that like when you ask for help when you are in the situation of violence and you need to ask for help, that doesn't mean that you need to immediately leave the house where you're living or that you immediately need to leave everything behind because it's a process. And uh, in the end, uh, the person who's going through the situation will be the ultimate dis- the, like uh, decision-making, making like d- deciding if they want to leave the house, if they want to keep and trying to work with their partners because some of the support they can get when they ask for help is really about how to deal with the situation which resources they can have available. So I think it's very important for this podcast as well to share that information as well, what type of support is out there and what are the options when we are going through this type of situations. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, um, it takes a lot of courage for someone to, to really remove, remove themselves from um, this violent situation that they're in. Um, especially if you're a mother with children as well, um, the, you know, that, that responsibility grows on you. Um, and I can only imagine how it would feel um, where you probably are not getting an income and you've got a kid to take care of um, and the kid might be in between the parents. Um, so the cases that I've been covering has been on this sort of, um, these are in, in international relationships and uh, where one of the parents has taken uh, the children away from the other parent. Um, and in those cases, um, there were both physical and psychological violence involved. And in, in particularly in the cases where one parent who do abducts uh, a kid back to their own country, and it's usually women, um, is because they're trying to escape a domestic violence situation. Now, when they immediately go to court and they get a criminal charge on them saying that they've taken the child away, uh, what happens is that in a court, they don't really consider uh, why the mother um, or the parent uh, sort of taking that child away. Um, what they may look into is what they call um, residential, um, habitual residence, which means that where does that child really belong? You know, and then do we actually say that that child has been abducted to, from that country and should be returned to that country? 
so to speak. So those who have moved here with children, say in Norway, it can be a yes and no that the child belongs in Norway or not, you know, depending on uh, certain circumstances and agreements that have been put in place. Um, so there's a complexity level also to this, um, where we, we will hopefully also talk about the different types of, of violence um, and the different type of violence within close relationships, because it's not only between a husband and a wife, um, it could be, you know, a family member um, and a teenager, or even to a child as well. Uh, and I think that we'll be exploring uh, more on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, like you said, come on, you know, with the, with the mothers being in Norway and having children, um, there's also other aspects that we m- maybe sometimes don't think about. Uh, just the fact that many women actually, they're in Norway on um, family reunification and especially if they uh, later have a child, then all of these um, aspects, you know, are make it sometimes make it harder for you to leave a relationship because not only do you have a child with this person, but you're also dependent on this person to stay in Norway and with the maybe with the life you have started to build here and you don't want to necessarily go back to your home country also and start another life again with your child which maybe you want to grow up here in Norway so there's so many aspects to why uh, immigrant women don't leave and a lot of it doesn't have to maybe to do with they them choosing to stay but sometimes it's necessary for them to stay in in you know um, in some situations so uh, these are just some of the things we are going to to, I guess, dive into further. Yeah. yeah exactly. So um, I think like I'm trying to remember the statistic and this is a UK one though. Um, I think they say that it takes a, a person or a woman um, eight times, you know, before they actually leave a domestic violent, you know, relationship. Uh, they do keep going back because perhaps they don't have anywhere to go to and, and so forth. So I think that is, you know, something... Uh, to think about. And I think we, we're going to be talking about, you know, the difference of, of um, these type of violence and the different forms uh, of violence. And I think like, I think for all of us, we understand like, even those who are listening to the podcast is that when we think about domestic violence, we think about the physical part, you know, when you get, you know, beaten up, you know, it, you can see, you can see the scars uh, on, someone's, uh, on someone's face and um, on someone's body. But there's also psychological violence, right? Uh, and also, like, there's also things that I, I started reading into, like, latent violence, economic violence, which I think, Enos, you have uh, mentioned this before as well. So maybe we could, you know, tackle that and, and try to break that down and see what you, you think um, about mm-hmm. the terminologies and whether actually people understand it, if you explain it. Because I think, like, for me, when I try to explain it to people, um, there are people who are a little bit more aware they understand that there's the psychological violence to it. But it's really hard, especially, I think, how it gets played out in court and how do you actually could say that was, that was psychological violence and how does that really build up? Uh, and for me, I feel like psychological violence is, is built up on also a potential threat. Uh, there's another terminology, latent violence, which um, your partner might be threatening you um, with words, 
uh, even though that person may not have committed that, um, that there's a potential threat because um, it can still happen because of previous um, physical violence uh, and so forth, I think. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that is also uh, kind of difficult for, for us, like when you are in a relationship for a long time, just because your partner is aggressive doesn't mean that you don't love the partner, right? You might still have the same feelings. And so sometimes it's natural to try to forgive a few things. And if it's uh, only psychological violence, it's normal to try to find justifications why the partner said that or the other thing and trying to forgive those things. But it's also very common in the situations for the type of violence to kind of evolve and uh, the type of, even if it doesn't start with threats, for example, it can start with just like shaming and humiliating the person that then can evolve to, evolve to threats. And then one day he just pushes her or she pushes him. And that's, a, a, it's not a very aggressive type of violence, but that's a, a very, um, is a step forward in the type of violence that was happening before. And uh, it's also easy sometimes when that just only happened once to say, oh, but it was just one time. It's normally like that, but that was already a difference from the past. So paying attention to these signs as well, um, it's very important. And even when it starts with shaming and humiliation, one of the big risks is when the, the, the victim, the person who's uh, hearing this thing, starts believing in it. Because if you start believing in it, then it's much harder to get out of it, to, to really understand that that's wrong, because you will at some point start agreeing with that. So... I think I would like the people to, that hear, listen to this podcast to also keep in mind that they are not alone, that there are other people going through the same things. And it's, all, it's never too late to ask for help and it's never too soon to ask for help either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's actually very interesting what you mentioned because I've learned also from working very closely with my colleague in Caritas uh, and she mentioned this to me and to others a lot of time that remember when you're, you know, a violent partner, this relationship probably started as a very nice relationship. You loved each other. You had so much in common. So it's, you know, we, we have to understand also why sometimes it's hard to just leave a relationship because you've built something and you build something together. It could be for, you know, months or years. And when this, violence starts happening it's not just easy to leave and sometimes you do need help and you need you do need to you know reevaluate your situation and think about if you want to leave or or if you want to stay and there's so many uh, reasons to that as well but we must remember that like you said Sarah that these two people at some point you know they this relationship started with love and it didn't necessarily start with violence uh, of any sort so it's important to remember yeah and um you know for, for me i i personally am a survivor of domestic violence myself so it's it's so important to to remember that there is no shame to saying that um so my mother was the one who has been violent towards me um when i was younger and just like you said it started out with love and everything um and then you know as I grew up, she wanted to take control. Um, she started manipulating and also controlling aspects to my life. And if I didn't go her way, you know, she would just, you know, do the kicking, the slapping and so forth. And this is, 
also culturally, you know, there's a cultural element to this as well, I would say. Um, especially in a, in a Chinese environment, you, we somehow hitting your kids is normal. And I'm certain like a lot of cultures believe that is the case, um, but there is a lot of consequences to that psychologically. Um, and even for me, you know, today I still suffer from PTSD, you know, I have flashbacks and then that can, you know, hold me from my work and also my daily life as well. Um, of course, I cope with it and you can overcome these things. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it's also, you know, breaking down um, this perhaps vicious circle that you may be having in your family um, and saying, you know, this has to stop. So I was the one in the family who, who broke out, you know, it was during the university um, years and um, honestly, I didn't even heard the word domestic violence come in. It was only until um, the deputy um, head of the department saw that there's something quite wrong with me. Um, and when I opened up what was happening, she said, you need to see a therapist. Um, so for me, I, I did go and see the university uh, therapist. And that was the time when she explained to me, you know, the term domestic violence, um, that she believed that I was experiencing that. So when, when that happened, it took me a little bit a while because it's like, I don't want to see myself as a victim. You know, I, I really did not like it. Um, but then afterwards, it's like, I have to accept the fact that this was my situation and I'm the only one who can get the hell out of it. Um, and it took some time, it took some courage. And I was lucky at the time I had student loan and I was working. So I already accumulated some money that I could actually move out. Uh, I can only imagine during this pandemic time, you know, trying to move out and, um, and establish yourself, it can be quite difficult. Um, so the message I want to say is that don't feel ashamed. You know, don't feel that um, this is all on you. And I have met women as well who were coming out of these relationships. Um, just as Sarah was mentioning, there's a lot of humiliation involved, um, really trying to put your self-confidence down, um, that you are the problem where you're not basically so it's really like cognitively saying that you are good you're a good mother you are a good person um and uh whatever that person your family the contact who is the perpetrator i would say um in this case um who the one who is um, doing the violence um he can say whatever they want right um just to make you feel pretty shit about yourself but I don't think you are. And I think that was a message that you know, we're trying to say is that um, we're here to, to try to get the information out um, so that you can also have your life back in some ways. Um, it's not something that we can promise, of course, but this is something that we're trying to actively trying to do um, to get as many people out of that situation. And we need to remember that just because some things are culturally accepted in some places, it doesn't mean that they're not damaging. So like you say, in some cultures, in, in, in the Middle Eastern cultures as well, it's, uh, it's normal to, to, this is the way you discipline children. Uh, and, and sometimes this is the way you discipline your wife as well. So just because it's culturally accepted, it doesn't mean that it's not damaging to a person. So uh, for the people who listen and, and think, well, well, this is just the way we do it in our culture. It, it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have any consequences. Uh, you, will, you will suffer 
um, so maybe if not physically, psychologically, you will suffer later in life as well. So it, it does come with con consequences as well. Yeah. Yes. And uh, of course, like, it's very difficult to change an entire culture or change the laws in the country, but it's not totally impossible because it has been happening over the years. Mm -hmm. And we are constantly, I would like to believe so, that we are constantly walking towards a better world that is more equal and fair for everyone. So even these cultural aspects, it's important to reflect on them even um, because it sometimes maybe like in Portugal, I think it's kind of common as well to kind of, hit babies and dis discipline children with some um, like more physical violence, uh, even though um, as a culture, we don't see it that way. But as we keep evolving, I think more and more parents are also thinking that there are other ways of punishing and maybe instead of punishing, uh, presenting rewards instead of the punishment in the end. So instead of saying, if you do this, this will happen to you is like, if you do this, you can get this, which is even better. So um, I think there, there's already a cultural uh, change happening, but it's very slow the way it happens because in the end, uh, when I was working um, with children in foster care, one of the main things we were noticing is that the caregivers working in these places, they, they are just caring for those children as their parents cared for them. So uh, you kind of use your own traditions, you use your own, the things you learn with your own experience and that can be very damaging and dangerous sometimes so it's also important when working with these people understanding that uh, there's a background behind it there's uh, a story that uh, might be influencing our opinions our decisions um, but there's always help that you can get no matter the culture no matter the background no matter the history so mm. I guess what we wanted to, to say is that, you know, if you want us to cover any topics um, or any areas that you, you want us to cover, um, we will look into that. Um, I think we're going to, um, you'll see this in our social media uh, channels. Um, so just reach out to us. Uh, we're still on the process of looking at how we can uh, outline this, this project um, in the best way possible uh, and having you or um, included in that conversation as well. Um, I think that is so important to have that space uh, for you who, who, who's gone through that. Um, and especially for me, you know, um, only in the recent year, I have been a bit more open about what has happened to me. And I hope that um, it can encourage other people to talk about it um, further too. Yeah. Um, and even like, I would like to also leave a message to those who are listening to us that like we are all uh, or at least me and Kaman have moved to Norway a bit later on and we don't uh, we didn't have that no network in the beginning um, and many women that will be listening to this will be in that same situation uh, so just as Ina said there are like resource centers and different uh, support that women can get even if they feel like if they leave the house they will be completely alone so you're not alone and if you want to reach out to us and talk in an anonymous way, that's also possible. You don't need to give your face right away as long as like the goal is for us to really try to help as many people as possible in the best way possible. And women who are going through the situations or people who are going through the situ violent situations uh, are the key stakeholders for what we're doing. So it's definitely fundamental to have you involved as well. And I, first of all, thank you, Kaman, for sharing with us. I know, you know, it can be difficult to, to open up about these things, but it's so 
it's so important also to to do that uh, because this is not i mean this is a podcast i was going to say it's not a podcast but this is this is this is a podcast but at the same time we are reachable at least i will be as well i work with this um you know with many different women on a daily basis so if we leave my email somewhere then people can easily reach me and we can you know talk and just because you talk to someone it doesn't mean that you have to do something about it but just opening up and you know talking to someone can sometimes help as well uh, and then you are always the one who you know you are in control of your situation so you will decide what you want to do but talking to someone is also important and, you know, I am available. So Definitely. Mm. we'll put the information um, in our social uh, media channels and also you see it in the, in the post somewhere as well. So, yeah, I guess, um, is there anything that I missed out? Do you think ladies? <laughs> no. So then I, then what I would just say is that thank you for joining us for our first episode um, and tune in to our second one um, and uh, do reach out to us um, for whatever. If you want to make a comment or if you want to uh, us to cover something, you know, let us know. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you, Ines and Kaman as well for starting this. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.